Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles, Exodus chapter 1, as we start a new book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 1. We're going to try to cover the whole chapter, and the title of our Bible study is Deliverance is on the Way. Deliverance is on the Way. And you know, things can change so quickly. Things can change so quickly for the good, and sometimes so quickly for the bad. When you look at 400 years of history, you'll see a lot of change. I know we experience it one at a time as we're transitioning from the book of Genesis into Exodus, we're looking at 400 plus years of history. And what ended well with Joseph and his family took a turn for the worse in Egypt. Notice in chapter one, just draw your attention to verse 14. It says, they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, in all the manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. That was a lot to endure for the children of Israel for about 430 years. Later on in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 40, that's exactly what it says. The sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. Sometimes it says 400 years, which is probably just a, a rounding up of the number, or a rounding down of the number uh, by the translators. But what it's describing, whether it's 400, 430 years, bond being in bondage and in servitude was very hard. And today we see people in bondage. That's why the book of, of Exodus is so encouraging because we all need to be delivered. There's all something God's working out in our lives. There's something that God wants to move us into a new season and a new way of thinking things, but some are in deep bondage really to things more than to people. But the bitterness and the hardness is the same. You know, we're not, we're not looking at this kind of life where we're in a situation where our lives are bitter as slaves being worked to the bone. But you know, the situations in our lives have very similar outcomes, whether you're addicted and bondage to, to drugs or to alcohol or to sinful pleasures or to pornography or to having grudges or, or just revenge and bitterness in and of itself. They've held people captive for years and years and years. I mean, some right now you're listening to me like, that's my life. This is something that's been holding on to me and we need to be reminded, studying Exodus is good, we need to be reminded that there's always a way out. There's always opportunity to be delivered and to be taken out from the difficulty we're in and be led into the promised land. There's a way out of the chaos that sometimes overwhelms us. Just getting alone with the Lord, having those quiet times away from the frantic rat race, you know, just seeking him. The Lord is ready to lead us. In the book of Exodus, the word uh, Exodus means exit, if you're taking notes. And it's this book that we gain hope. The word means exit or to come out of or to go out of. And the picture of Exodus is a marching of an army in the solemn procession. 
God delivers the children of Israel. He saves them. He rescues them. And in this deliverance, we have a picture, you know, because God is going to use Moses as Moses is a great tool in the hands of God. But we're always reminded there's a greater than Moses. His name is Jesus, ready to deliver you, ready to lead us out. And the faithfulness of God is seen in his leading of deliverance. If you're taking notes, I have a few things to lay before you before we get into the text itself today. Some themes to think through as we study the entirety of this book, verse by verse. And by the way, if you're new to the radio uh, broadcast or you're new to the church, you just hear for it, you never started a book of the Bible, this is what we do. We're going to start in chapter one, verse one, and we're going to go all the way to the end, verse by verse. And we're going to take our time when necessary. We're going to focus on key words when necessary, but God is going to take us through so we have the fullness of this book. So just be ready to go through the entire book of Exodus. And here's what you can look forward to. Number one, Exodus is a book of deliverance, a book of deliverance. In it, we see the power of God delivering the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt through his hand-picked deliverer, Moses. Exodus is prophecy fulfilled. Jesus in chapter 14, verse six said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to be delivered but through him. There was one way for the children of Israel to be delivered, and one only, and prophetically is pointing to Messiah, one way. There's no other way to get to heaven but through him. No other way than to have your eyes open to spiritual things. There's no other way to have your ears open to the voice of God, your heart made new, but through him. And as we study the book of Exodus, where it's pointing toward Jesus Christ, who is the Exodus in your life. There's no other way to be delivered. Prophecy moving forward, fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus will declare that he's our redemption and the overall theme is deliverance. Secondly, Exodus is also a book of providence. Providence. I'm so grateful that our God is sovereign. The sovereignty of God speaks to the control of God and the authority of God. Nothing happens outside of his view. Nothing happens outside of his purposes. And the devil will so often attack us for trying to get our eyes off of God, off of his strength, off of his plan, off of his sovereignty, off of his providence. Now, the word providence comes from two English words, pro and video or video. It literally means to see in advance. And God can see in advance. He sees events before they happen. He knows events before they happen. So we can, so that God can weave together things in his power and his purposes. This, this throws people because we don't quite understand how he does this. How is it that God can both be sovereign and yet give us the ability to make free will decisions? And people lose their minds over this. People want to spend the rest of their life arguing over it. But the best thing to do is to accept God, accept God for who he is. That you make decisions you're going to be accountable to and God is sovereign and you can yield yourself to him. Thirdly, not only is Exodus a book of deliverance and providence, but it's also a book of sacrifice. Again, pointing to Jesus Christ, chapter 12 will unveil for us the Passover, the lamb sacrifice for the people to atone for their sins, pointing forward to the coming lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Providence, sacrifice. Number four, Exodus is also a book of worship, of worship. 
Chapter after chapter is dedicated to the building of the tabernacle and the articles of worship that God prescribes. It's enough to say now that the worship that God requires is the worship that God demands. So we'll learn that you can't just come and worship God anyway. Uh, He demands and has prescriptions for worship. Uh, We learn that in the life of Jesus as he teaches us that we must worship the Father in what? Spirit and in truth. You and I, we can't just make up our own ways in our life of worship, and we'll learn that. God has given more time in the book of Exodus to the tabernacle than he did to creation in Genesis. Why? You know, because today you can see things all flipped upside down where everybody's arguing about what's going on in Genesis and arguing about creation. And and for good reason, not minimizing that at all in the culture that we're in uh, with humanistic uh, evolution and philosophy just ruling the day, we need to bring people back to the truths of the scripture. So I'm not minimizing that at all. But why would God give more time to the building of the tabernacle than he did give in uh, of creation in Genesis And that is because God is interested in right worship of him. He's interested in relational worship with him. He's interested in us learning a simple truth that I think is a lifetime of learning, but he's interested in us learning. And it's, you might want to jot this down because you're learning it in your life. And it's simply this, God is interested in us learning to do things his way and not our way. Or what's common in our culture today, in our Christian culture today, is doing things his way, not our way. But then when we do our things our way, calling it his way. And just finding some little Christian thing to call it or stamping some Christian word on it or somehow making excuses for our sidestepping of what God requires. For example, I think of the requirement of God for us to be merciful. I mean, don't you think the world would be so much softer if believers were so much more merciful. Mercy, not giving someone what they deserve. And you, know, you can be bound up in being a merciless person. And then when the Holy Spirit calls you on it, you got some reason why you're not showing mercy or grace or even walking in the agape love. Do you know there is no one else on the planet earth that can display the agape love of God, but you, the church. There's no one outside of the church that is able to demonstrate what agape love really is because it is God's love. It comes from God and through you. In order for agape love, this self-sacrificial love to be demonstrated, it first must be experienced. And only you, only you, there's no one else but you and me. Deliverance, providence, sacrifice, Worship, number five, Exodus is a book of obedience. For those of you that flipped ahead or maybe you read the whole book ahead, you know you're gonna get to Exodus chapter 20. And it's in Exodus chapter 20 that we are given the big 10, (laughs) the 10 commandments, a demand of obedience. And then in chapters 21 through 24 will be laid out for all the social laws that are given to govern the new society and to bring out a separation of the children of Israel from the pagan people that they will live among. And these laws that are given to us in Exodus have been the basis for most common laws in organized civilization. The very bedrock of our own nation was built upon the scriptures. Not only that, you have deliverance, providence, sacrifice, worship, obedience, 
Next, in Exodus, we learn about the office of a prophet and the priesthood. The prophet and the priesthood. Exodus is one of the books known as, one of the first five books of the Bible that are known as the Torah and the law. You know, when the Bible is referred to as the law and the prophets, Exodus is included in the law. It's also known as the first five books as the Pentateuch. And the early church were students of the Old Testament. The book of Acts, the believers in the early church, that's the only Bible they had was what we refer to as the Old Testament today, the law and the prophets, the Psalms and Proverbs. And they, they were students of the Old Testament. The first century group of new believers didn't have the New Testament as we, they were living it out. God was doing a work through them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine just for a moment the things we're reading in the book of Acts? They didn't even know they were living out the Bible. And I just think of some of the things that God has allowed us to be a part of. We just don't know what God's allowing us to live out. And you approach it with, man, I don't want to miss it. Of course, God's not writing any more of the Bible, but through the life of your, what God would hand down to generations to come. What God would give to you and me as we live out by faith, the kind of impact that we can have in people's lives. It's unbelievable. In 1 Corinthians, you can jot it down as you think of Exodus in chapter 10 and verse 11. It says, now all of these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. When we read about the saints that have gone before us, they were, they, they, these things are written down for us so that we can be encouraged and we can be warned and we can learn by their example. Now, when we think about the author of Exodus, we know that the human instrument that God used was Moses. But who wrote Exodus? You've already learned this church. Who wrote Exodus? God wrote Exodus. He's the author. And he included it in the Bible so that we would have a delight in studying it, learning through these principles. And I encourage you to prepare your hearts, to spend some time reading ahead. Uh, if you haven't already, you need to learn to take notes. The people that study these things say you remember a lot more when you write things down. And you don't have to write down everything that I say, like every single word. You can write things down, like maybe a, a, a scripture that I gave you and you can look it up later. You could write down a phrase that really meant something to you. Uh, you could write down how you're receiving it. So you can go back to the text and pray through it that the Lord is speaking to you. You can write down some of the facts that are shared. And, and the more that you participate, the more you prepare yourself to receive from the Lord, it makes sense that you will receive more from the Lord. <laughs> it, 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 God is gonna be faithful to give to you, but now you wanna respond in faithfulness to participate. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse one, it says, the preparations of a heart belong to man but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And you know by now that as a pastor and as a fellow brother, I, I, my desire is to see the church grow in their understanding of God's word. Because when you grow in the understanding of God's word, you begin to fall in love with the Bible. You fall in love with the author. You just so, you know, some of you do have favorite authors. Those of you that read and you have, if you're a fiction write, uh, reader, then you have some favorite authors in fiction and you just keep going back and you wait for the next one. You can't wait for the next one to come out. You just finished the last one. You want to get the next one. Some of you have some faithful authors in the nonfiction realm where you just, they speak to you. And if you have any favorite author in your life at the top of the list should be God. <laughs> that you might love him 
and love his word. And, and the Lord has gift, gifted us as a church. He's gifted us uh, to give us pastors and teachers to help us understand. And as I was sharing, I shared with you recently that I was in Virginia uh, celebrating 20 years of ministry for a pastor there. And I reminded the church there that the pastor is God's gift to them. That, that God chooses the people that lead you. I know sometimes we think that. Well, you know, I'm just gonna check that church out or I heard this guy on the radio, so I think, no, 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 no. Those are all providential from God. You think it's your choice, but God knows what you need. And so he has somebody pop on the radio for you or you're driving by or somebody invites you. God chooses the leaders in your life so that, because he knows what's best for us. And for me, it's not hard to me. It's not hard for me at all to accept that truth because when I was invited to church, I didn't want anything to do with church or that church or anything. I didn't, I didn't even want to be there. How about that for choosing a church? I didn't even want to be there. I didn't even know what I was doing there, except that my friend invited me. And after I was born again, God just said, stay, just stay here. I didn't even know any better. Uh, to go anywhere. I didn't even know that you could go all over. I didn't know. I just like, this is where I'm supposed to be and I'm not leaving until God tells me to. And I learned that over the thing that God put Pastor Jeff Johnson in my life. He put him in my life so that I might grow under his leadership and grow I have. And by the way, it just hit me right now. Pastor Jeff has been battling cancer uh, for some time now. And I literally just got a couple, a couple of emails and a text that he had some emergency surgery and there's some infection they're trying uh, to get rid of. So let's just pray for him. Lord, I wanna thank you for my pastor. And I know it's been such a battle for him these last few years. And so we pray you would bring healing into his body right now, uh, into that hospital room. Lord, whatever uh, anxiety you might be feeling or any concerns that he and Karen and the kids and the grandkids might be facing, uh, we lift them up to you, Lord. And we thank you for him. We honor that man and the role that he had even here now and pray for strength uh, that he might be able to continue the ministry you placed upon his heart as he has that heart for Israel and wants to spend more time there and wants to lead people there as he moves on to a new season. So bring healing to his body, Lord, comfort to his family, even now in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God has written the Bible for us. He has put people in our lives for us to grow. And my heart for you is the same heart that was handed down for me, uh, that was handed down to my pastor from Chuck Smith. And it's just this, our heart is to have the best fed, the best cared for sheep in this whole area. Not that we are in competition with anyone, but just the people we have, responsible, we have responsibility for, we wanna take good care of. And the best way that we can take care of you is to teach you God's word. Because when you know God's word, you're gonna know God and he's gonna take good care of you. He is faithful. That includes you guys that are online and everyone connected to us uh, on the radio and uh, in a distance, we take that very seriously as well. And we wanna acknowledge you that are not in the room with us, that the Lord loves you and we're privileged to be able to serve you through the teaching of the word. And my prayer in, is that your appetite for God's word grows. That's my desire for you. You know, it's interesting because when we were first praying about uh, purchasing a radio station, uh, there were always the naysayers and, oh, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work and nobody's gonna listen to it. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. We're gonna create a new appetite for God's word through the station and it's gonna take time. So be patient. It's gonna take time. But once, it's kind of like, you know, when you, it's kind of like this, you know, you guys all have favorite foods. A few of you, I don't understand. 
okay? And I'm not trying to understand you, uh, but you like rhubarb is a favorite. I'm sorry, okay? But that's, that's your like. And on some of you, Brussels sprouts, I'm even sorrier for you. Those are just nasty mutant little cabbages. They didn't grow up. I don't know why. Like, I don't understand why you like them, but you do. And one of the reasons why, listen, one of the reasons why you like them is you were forced to eat them as a child. Because you probably grew up in a house like me. My mom made food. There were no options. You didn't have a menu. If my mom cooked at all, she's like, this is your option. Oh, you do have a second option. Go hungry. How many of you grew up in a similar home? Okay, okay, okay. So, and it wasn't mean or anything. It was just like, a, you know, it wasn't a mean thing. This is what you cook. So like today, everyone's option. I don't want this. I don't want that. You know, give this. No, no, this is what I, so at any rate, sorry, I'm just uh, a <laughs> little therapy session. <clears throat> but the reason why you have some foods that you like is because that's the food that was served in your home. And you created a taste for it and an appetite for it. And you handed it down from kids and recipes and such, which is really wonderful and great. Uh, even if in the room, there's some disagreement on what favorite foods are, it's fine because we all grew up differently. Well, that's how the Bible is. You don't know how good the Bible is until you have an appetite for it. And you don't know what it tastes like until it's fed to you, until it's given to you. And you'd just be reading and it takes some time. You know, you've taken in as I don't like that Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. And you know, I'll just, but then I don't know when it happens, but there's this point where it goes, bam, and you can't turn it off. That's one of the things we pray for. I know as a pastor, that's what I pray for over and over. It's what keeps things fresh is that over and over, there's just this sense where I don't know. We, I like to use the phrase, uh, like God's just going to flip the switch. You know, once the switch is flipped, it can't, no going back. And that happens at different times where you just become hungry for the word of God. The systematic verse by verse teaching of the word of God is what we're committed to here. And it might be different from what you're used to, or it might be different period. You may not be a reader. You may not be a student. You may not, you have all these barriers, but then when God flips the switch, you're like, what barriers? I love the word of God, man. I love every time I listen to it, I'm learning something. And so with the radio, you know, for all the naysayers, we just said, just be patient, just be patient. We're creating a new appetite because once people get it, they're not gonna to wanna to go anywhere else. This is where it's at. This, this, the Bible alone has the power to change your life. It's not even the words of a pastor or the illustrations or the things we get to laugh about. All of those are ways to keep your attention, you know, to illustrate, to help you understand. You know, I was taught uh, in ministry that if I can get you laughing and your mouth is wide open, then I can shove truth right down into your throat <laughs> while it's open and just keep some attention and we can, you know, we're talking about heavy things and so we can laugh a little bit. And sometimes there's just that sense, sometimes there's some, some tears as the Holy Spirit is working through the word of God and there's just tears and pain and healing and refreshment, like God is ready. Let me show you, turn over to 2 Timothy and I know we'll get into Exodus. It's not a long chapter today, but I wanna lay the foundation for the future of our studies here. Would you turn over to 2 Timothy with me, chapter three? And in verse 16, just a great reminder of the value of God's word and the appetite that you have. And, and you could even be listening, you know, I don't have much of an appetite, but that's okay, you're listening. And God is gonna flip the switch and there's no going back. There's just no going back when God uses his word to change who you are on the inside and you become hungry to hear from him because you love him. And notice in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And notice, all scripture is profitable. 
all of it. We may not always see or feel, you know, you're reading through your devos in Leviticus, and you know, I just don't understand what's profitable about this. It's profitable, and you believe that by faith. You don't need to understand everything. Just believe by faith that God will give you the understanding that you need. I mean, think about it. The things that you do understand can be so overwhelming. Do you think God's gonna give you full understanding of the entire script? If you can't handle what you know right now, now how can you handle another you know, 10,000 things? God is gonna give to us the understanding we need, listen, when we need it. <laughs> you can just trust him. So all scripture is profitable for these four things. For doctrine, teaching us what is right. For reproof, teaching us for what is wrong. Thirdly, for correction, teaching us how to take what's wrong and make it right. Isn't that what we want? Like, I know it's not fun finding out what's wrong in our lives, but God doesn't leave it there. He says, you bunch of sinners, you're toast. But what does he say? You know what? You have sinned. You have fallen short of my glory. And here's the way out. The correction. I've made a way of escape for you. I've sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. He rose again the third day so that by faith, you can believe in him. So for correction, that's to take what's wrong and make it right. And then finally, instruction in righteousness to stay right. The Bible teaches us how to stay right. Why? Verse 17, so that the man of God, and by extension, the woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Say it out loud if it's a yes. Do you want to be thoroughly equipped? I do too. And it's not going to come apart from the Bible. And the approach that we take is we believe that God has given us the whole Bible so that he can make a whole disciple out of you, a whole follower. And that's why we're committed to it all because it's powerful and it's amazing that you would open up the Bible. You, you, and, and you know, this is true. You're reading something, you go, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I was like, what, where did that come from? What well, was there all along? It's right there in the text. So let's jump in. Verse one, chapter one. These are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons for Joseph was already in Egypt. And Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty and the land was filled with them. And you'll remember that God sent Joseph ahead in our studies in Genesis for this very thing, fulfilled prophecy. Remember the dreams that Joseph had were seen fulfilled in the land of Egypt and we studied that. The connection between Genesis and Exodus, each man in his household enter Egypt under the caring and loving eye of Joseph, 70 in all. And a lot happened in these 430 years. Generations have come and gone. All the while, the nation continues to increase in Egypt. Notice in verse seven, it says words like fruitful. It says they were fruitful. It also uses the phrase increased abundantly multiplied, grew exceedingly mighty. The land was filled with them. Why don't you mark them? If you have a Bible, circle them. I want you to pay attention to them. And I'll tell you why. These are not words that are commonly associated in our minds with trials and difficulty. I'm sure if I gave a piece of paper when you walked in the room today and I said, give me the first word you think about when you think of trial, it probably wouldn't be one of these. Now, maybe a few, but not many. 
I can think of some words with trials, hard, don't like them, painful, too long. I mean, we can think of a lot of things associated with trials, but verse seven, I want you to write in that these are words associated with trial and tribulation and difficulties. These are a result of pain and problems that the nation experienced for hundreds of years. And yet even in the trial, what's the end result? Well, there's fruit. There's an increase abundantly. There's multiplication and they grow exceedingly mighty and the land was filled with them. He's preparing himself a nation, God is. And he's preparing himself a bride, God is, among us today. And in this world, we'll suffer. We can't sidestep it. But we can begin to pray for the fruit that God wants to bring through this trial. We can begin to pray for the increase of abundance that God has for us. We can begin to pray for the multiplying work of his spirit for exceeding growth in our lives. Exceeding growth. Oh, it's so painful. And you know, our tendency is to complain. Our tendency is to be upset. Our tendency is to gossip. Our tendency is to blame somebody. It's, our tendency is not toward the work that God is doing in the midst. I mean, there's even a sense sometimes where people will take on the identity of their trials and then mess everyone up because of their bitterness instead of just like, man, look what God is doing in my life. Yeah, but it looks so painful. It is. You can admit that it's painful but then give God glory because he's at work. Give God glory for the faithfulness that he's showing you. God said in Genesis 46, verse three, for I will make you a great nation there. We studied that. So I'm gonna make you, you're gonna take, you guys are gonna go, I'm gonna make you a great nation there. And look what he's done. He's made him a great nation through the ups and downs of life. Then notice verse eight. Now there arose a new king over Egypt. Oh, look at the end who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them. And you guys might see a side note in your Bible, shrewdly. Let's deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. Now, do you think, just pause for a second after what we just read. Do you think Pharaoh the man in charge of the world at this time can stop the multiplication and the promises of God? No way, but that's how the world thinks. And if the church is not careful, you'll try to match the world where they're thinking. And you gotta remember the world doesn't think of God. So if you wanna fight in this world at the world level, you will be frustrated continually because Pharaoh doesn't see God. He doesn't see God. Because I already read in my Bible, the land was filled with them. <laughs> they came in at 70. And one of the reasons why this, this Pharaoh, this new Pharaoh, uh, is not seeing God is it, it's clear he didn't know Joseph. So by the time 400 plus years comes, the true story of Joseph, the faithfulness of Joseph, the, how God used this Hebrew man to save the nation and the world through his leadership, second in command, he didn't know him. Well, he says, let's stop them from multiplying in it. And verse 10, and it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them 
with their burdens and they built Pharaoh's supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew and they were in dread of the children of Israel. You might want to mark that. Your spiritual growth is directly related to affliction. Spiritual growth certainly comes in other ways, but you can, you can count on this. To the degree of your affliction and trials, as you submit to them and learn from them will be the degree of your spiritual growth. That's why you, you can see accelerated spiritual maturity for those that have been through deep trials and responded properly, submitting themselves to the will of God. The more, this is what the Bible says, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. This new king is a king of another kind. When Joseph came to Egypt, the ruling pharaohs were of Semitic roots. They were also called the Hiskos kings. They were Syrian and native Egyptians hated them. But now 350, or 350 years later, a new dynasty arises that doesn't know about Joseph and doesn't care. Pharaoh was afraid that they would leave and all his slave labor would leave and turn against the Egyptians. So his choice was to bring more affliction, more affliction. His choice was to be, demean them and to, to somehow hurt them and teach them a lesson. But it's interesting because the persecution brought strength. The persecution brought strength and it's still that way today. The more you persecute a body of Christians, it doesn't destroy us, it makes us stronger. There's strength in difficulty. It was the church historian Tertullian that said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And one of the things that we lack as a church in this day is the level of persecution that other generations experience and people experience outside of the United States. And because of that, there is a softness and a comfort that has entered into our lives that is constantly being tested by the Lord, trying to draw us out of comfort and ease. It's a blessing to enjoy comfort and ease. It's a blessing to be in a place where there's less and less difficulty, but it's a blessing to be used in life, not just a blessing to enjoy. You know, and I think sometimes we just get into this place, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. And can't you hear heaven? How many blessings do you want? before you get up and do something and respond, right? Isn't it Paul that said, don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance? It's the goodness of God. And here we are just so blessed, blessed in our country, blessed in our position, blessed in our, our lives, financially, spiritually, you know, and even in our struggles financially, even in those things, compared to the rest of the world, millionaires. And comfort and ease will do that. We'll see that throughout Exodus. Comfort and ease will draw out more and more compromise and complacency. It's much better to be in a place of, man, just going through it and having to seek the Lord. And just locking ourselves in the closet, begging God to give us direction and mercy, strength. We see, we're learning it played out in the book of Acts. They go together. 
In the book of Acts, we're seeing that. When persecution came, they just multiplied. They got kicked out of Jerusalem to save their lives. They took the gospel into Judea and Samaria. Well, isn't, that what God, isn't that what Jesus told them they would do? And so moving them along through persecution, they obeyed God. Take them all the way to reach the Gentiles and Antioch and then to around the world. And you might see in your own life, trial upon trial piled on you. And I remember, you know, going through some things myself. I remember just looking at Marie and I just, and just thinking, I said it out loud. You know how you say things inside, but then eventually they just come out. And I just remember looking at her one season, uh, you know, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. And I just like, man, how much can a man take? And she couldn't answer that. She's like, what do you mean, Ed? How much can a woman take? Like, what? like we're, we're all messed up right now. We're hurting so bad. But I can think of what God was saying. God would just say, you know what? A man can take as much as I give him as he trusts in me, as much as I allow. I don't always know what God is doing. I don't know what he's doing in the moment necessarily, but I do know he's at work and I can trust him. I do know that he's gonna use it for his glory. I do know that he bought me with his own, the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. I belong to him. I belong to him in the good times, praise the Lord. And I especially belong to him in the bad times and the hard times. Either way, God is working and faithful to us. And church, that's gonna help you rise up. But Ed, it's just piled on, piled on. I know, how much can a man take, Ed? I, I don't really know the exact answer for you, but I do know this. You can take as much as God allows because there's always a way of escape when it comes to temptation with sin. He always makes a way. You're a much stronger man. You're a much stronger woman in Christ than you were outside of Christ. You have direction for your life. You have hope, you have a future. You're far more usable in this current condition than you've ever been in your life. Your prayer life is off the charts. Your, your mercy, you know, like, especially those of you that have been going through some pain related to trials, your heart is just broken for people that have pain like you now. You didn't feel it before, but you feel it now. You're there and you're just like, man, man, this is hurts, this hurts. And then God says, it's true. And then he begins this, yeah, but you know, remember that time you met that person and they were going through this? This is how they feel. And you go, oh, Lord, bless them and help them. It just opens up a whole new channel of ministry in your life. And the more you're afflicted, the more you grow. And you're like, well, Ed, can I do it another way? Yes, you can. Spiritual growth comes different ways, but it multiplies in affliction. Well, then Ed, I should pray for affliction. Don't do that. <laughs> you let God do what he wants to do in your life. You don't need to be masochistic about this and go, I wanna grow, so give me more. You just trust the Lord with your life. You don't even have to like the trial. You don't even have to like the pain. You just have to love the Lord. Trust him. Know that he's faithful. And just like the Bible says, you and I, we're not the only ones going through stuff. There's a whole brotherhood and sisterhood around the world. That's why it's so important for you when there's a short-term trip to take it, pray about it, take it serious. Whether we're going to Mexico or we're going to Peru or visiting the men and women that we support around the world, a trip like that, an investment of your own resources to get out of and go serve, I mean, it's, it's priceless. I don't know any other way to describe it. I remember resisting it so many years in my own life. 
Just like, you know, as a pastor, I'm a good, I'm sender. I'm an equipper. I'm happy with that role in my life. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to equip and send and fund and help and celebrate and hear all the reports until this brother would not leave me alone. Ed, you got to come to Egypt. You got to come to Egypt. I don't want to go to Egypt. I'll send Dave. He likes to go to Egypt. I was our missions pastor back then, who happens to be full-time in Bangkok, Thailand right now. I was like, I'll send Dave or I'll send JJ. I'll, I'll send somebody, but I'm a sender, bro. I'm not a goer. And he wouldn't let up. And that one trip to Egypt became two, became three, became, became a life like, you know, Ed, this is my will for your life. I wanna keep you close to my heart. And the way I'm gonna keep you close, you wanna be a better sender? I wanna be a better sender, Lord. Yes, I wanna be a better sender. And you would expect heaven to say, we'll give more money, but that's not what he said. He said, you wanna be a good sender, Ed? Then you need to be a good goer. I know that's not open for everyone, but partly why it's not open for everyone is because when you hear a trip, you don't pray. You don't ask God directly, is this for me, God? It's just like another email on Friday and you just kind of, ah, no big deal. I don't read it anyway. And, and I saw it, oh, they're going, no, nah, no, nah, I don't care. I'm, I got this and I got that. My boss would never say it. I don't have any money. I don't want to be in a foreign country. I don't want to sleep on the floor. I, I don't, I, 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 holds us back from so much that God has for us. And so all I'm asking you to do is pray. Just take the thing seriously. Go through that email on Fridays and just pray. God, what is this and who is this and who's gonna be a part of it and what do you have for my life? And here, when they're afflicted, they grew. They grew and it says in verse 12, they became, they were in dread of the children of Israel. So again, God is blessing them through multiplication. He's blessing them and it only made those that were afflicting them more angry. And so what would you expect living in a world or even in our own culture that hates Christians, what do you expect? And when the hatred increases, what do you expect? They're going to be, you're gonna become the dread of an antichrist culture. You're gonna become the dread of those that hate God. And the mission field, whether you go out to the world or not, is right on your street. It's the life you're living right now. The dread of a culture that doesn't know Christ. God uses trials. And it does concern me from time to time when I don't hear as much discussion about trials and tribulations going around our church. To me, that's a danger sign. When I say, oh, everything's fine, everything's wonderful. A church that's calm, a church that's cool and collected is probably a church that's not making any progress. It's true for us. You know, ah, everything's fine. Everything's been fine for the last 10 years. Really? Have you done anything for the Lord in the last 10 years? Not really. Because a church without warfare, a marriage without warfare, a, a, a person, a man or a woman without warfare, without affliction, without difficulty, well, there's no multiplication going on and very little growth. And perhaps you're on your way to very little life where you're not enjoying the things of God. Notice verse 13, the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor or harshness 
And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. It doesn't get any better. Now of whom the name of one was Shipra and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, and you see them on their birth stools, if it's a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. <laughs> but you got to mark this. Well, all this pressure and everything, notice what, we, what God wants us to know about these midwives. You know, there's a lot of debate about, oh, if the midwife's lied, does God bless lying? God doesn't bless lying. You understand that. And there's, you can even look at this and see that maybe they were able to do this without lying. And there's, there's a lot of debate whether they lied or didn't lie. But don't get caught up in the nonsensical arguments. This is what I want you to know about the midwives. This is what you need to know. You ready? The midwives feared God. And that's what God blessed. The fear of God is a beginning of wisdom. And so don't come to the midwives and go, well, look, they lied. So God blesses lying. Do you fear God? Because if you fear God, you're going to make choices that honor God. You're going to make choices that honor God. And in this particular case, they were commanded to murder babies. Okay. They were commanded to murder babies and they feared God. And verse 17 did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them and they saved the male children alive. How did they make that decision? They feared God. That's how you're going to make your tough biblical, you know, moral dilemma decisions that we face all the time. It's the same way you're going to make it. Do you fear God? Then make the decision. Do you fear man? Oh, wait, don't make a decision with the fear of man you have a less than 50-50 chance of hitting it right. You still can, but you can hit it right 100% of the time when you fear God, because he'll lead you and guide you in something like this. Notice, so the king of Egypt, verse 18, called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing? And save the male children alive. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Which here's an insight that you can consider. Perhaps the midwives, knowing the timing of the birth, just had them come at a time and just say, you know what, you're going to be on your own, but trust me, you're going to be on your own. I'm not going to be there for the birth. I'll be there after the birth. You just trust me. Or, you, you know, some kind of working behind the scenes. And I think it was Matthew Henry that suggested that. I was like, okay, they're, they're having a higher commitment to God than to man. But even if they lied, even if they lied, they did so to save life, to save a life. And we'll let the Lord sort that out. Save a life or kill a baby and what Pharaoh said. And again, you can see a lot of parallels when it comes to abortion in our country. And by the way, abortion is not a problem only in our country. It is a worldwide evil, wicked phenomenon. And even as I speak today about babies dying and babies being killed for abortion, I know the enemy would love to use that in some lives, some women's lives. And maybe you were a boyfriend or a husband that approved of it or didn't know there's all kinds of shame and guilt and regret surrounding abortion. They don't tell you that in culture. They don't tell you that in the advertising. They don't tell you that that's their number one moneymaker, Planned Parenthood. They don't tell you that. 
And in the Lord, there's forgiveness. Of course, if you were a believer or you were stronger in that time, you wouldn't have done that, of course. But there's no need to live with the shadow of regret. You can take it to the Lord. And there's even people you can talk to that can walk you alongside of this so you can walk in healing. It is a hard thing to have in your past. And for the sake of those of you that have in your past, just know the blood of Jesus Christ forgives you of all your sin. And I believe according to the scriptures that one day you're gonna meet your baby in eternity. I don't know how it's all gonna go down exactly or how, how that's gonna work, but I do believe that you will meet that baby in eternity. Even those of you that might've miscarried or had a stillbirth, all of this topic is very hard. And just know the Lord knows. And you can look to him for comfort and encouragement, even in the pain. But a greater sense today, a greater sense is those of you listening to me right now, that abortion is on the table as one of your options. And I implore you to fear God so that you will save life. It's never a wise choice. It's never a wise choice when it's just a choice on the table. And here they are, Pharaoh's using infanticide, which is becoming popular, you know, cause it's a little, it's a slippery slope. It starts in one thing and then it continues on. And now infanticide, uh, what might be called here, uh, late term abortion, but even now some abortion doctors talking today about killing kids after they're born, they were doing it back then because the heart of man is evil. Unregenerate man, we can do the most wicked of things. And the midwives, what I want you to see in their lives, I don't want you to focus on the moral dilemma of where they lied or not. It, it really doesn't matter because the grace of God will cover even that. And it's not giving you permission to just you know, whimsically lie whenever you want to lie, not at all. What I want you to remember about the midwives church, what I want you to remember about the midwives, those of you outside of this room is that they feared God. And that's the posture you and I need to be in the moral dilemmas that we face and in a culture with leaders that would command us to do something sinful. And here's the principle. We learned this all throughout the pandemic. You ready? The principle is this. When man's laws are in controversy with God's laws, you choose God's laws. It's that simple. When, God's, when, when the laws of men are contrary to the laws of God, then we hold on to what Peter, Peter said we ought to obey God rather than men. And so the midwives, notice they are following, they're living this out. And in verse 20, it says, therefore God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. Why did God deal well with the midwives? They feared God. He isn't rewarding sin. Even if there was sin here, again, it's debatable. A lot of people spend their life debating it, but the, he blesses them because they're in relationship with him. And it was, it says in verse 21, because the midwives feared God, he provided households for them. So just in case you question it, God clarifies it for you. It's because the midwives fear God that God provided for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, verse 22, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter shall stay, save alive. And that's how Exodus opens. Such wickedness, such trial, such agony, 
This is, again, the outgrowth of anti-Semitism, the devil's demonic attack against the Jewish people that started in the garden and continues to this day. We see it happening throughout the world, the devil's bloodthirsty desire to kill the Jewish people, to kill before Messiah comes, I believe, to prevent in his mind, you know, because he's not omniscient. Uh, he's trying to prevent Messiah coming. But now that Messiah has come, I believe anti-Semitism is a punishment that the devil wants to inflict upon the Jewish people. It's demonic in its core. And so as you pull back from chapter one, you'll notice how it sets the stage for a powerful deliverance. You understand why God is looking for a man like Moses. You, you understand why, how you see God raise up someone. They're in distress. They're being oppressed. They are hopeless. And God is gonna identify a man. That's the pattern, by the way. We don't have time to develop it, but the pattern of God is to identify a man and a woman in some cases to use in mighty ways. Men and women in their own right, God uses you, each and every one of us in the different cases that he lays before us. He's looking right now, even today, to use you in a mighty way. It's amazing. And then you're used and what happens? More affliction, more trauma, more drama, more trauma, more difficulty, more, more affliction, more affliction, more affliction. Yes, I want you to expect it. I don't want you to be surprised by it. It says right here, if you didn't mark it already, in verse 12, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. And then they became the dread of Pharaoh and the people. So what does Pharaoh do? Oh, I give up, God, you win. No, he wants to kill the babies. Oh, not gonna kill the babies? Well, let's just throw them in the river. And you'll see along the way, the work in the hand of God among us. So Lord, we just thank you for your word tonight. And uh, we know that there's a lot to cover and a lot to learn from. And, and Lord, I know there's more affliction in this room than uh, what we're used to. There's just things going on and difficulties we're facing. And some are small, some are large. Some we've made worse by our response. Some we've made better by our surrender to you. I pray for the moral dilemmas that are among us today, God, that you would instill a fear because your word tells us in James that in the midst of trials, if we lack wisdom, we can ask you. And so trials will even cause us, I don't know what to do, God will help me. And that comes through a healthy fear, reverence, respect, and honor towards you, God. So prepare us for the future, uh, that whatever you give us, Lord, I pray even in particular that that sense of short-term trips and such, Lord, that you would stir up people as we start those up again. And we just are waiting for you to give us direction on where to go and, and when to go and who's gonna lead and all of those, Lord. We're just seeking your face of what your desire is for us and how you would have us, what missionaries need encouragement. Lord, you would just supernaturally um, just give us, uh, give us the, the green light, Lord. Help Pastor JJ uh, help me and Everett and the team, Lord, to, to seek your face that we might be able to go and stir and just who knows what you have in store for us, Lord. So bless your word in our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church. And how many of you, like, how many of you, like, really sense that that word about, like, missions spoke to your heart? How many of you think that? Think that? Good. Good, Lord, I just pray for them right now. Just you are 
you are, you are stirring. And even that sense of, of being faithful right here in Aurora, being faithful God right here at work, being faithful right here, looking for work or in a state of transition, Lord, that you would just pour out your spirit and let us be faithful in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Let us be faithful, Lord, in what you laid before us. And even in the much affliction, God, and then much multiplication, there's a lot of pain in the middle. And so, God, we are asking for a supernatural work of your spirit, that hupomone that we talk about, to bear up under the weight of it all, in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.